0: Welcome to worship at Swicer Church. We're so glad you're here. I'm Pastor Jason. If this is your first time with us, we'd invite you to let us know that you're here. We'd love to send you a gift card just to say thanks for worshiping with us. Today is week six of our Revelation series. We're gonna be hearing about the church in Philadelphia. Not Philadelphia where the Eagles play, but Philadelphia in Turkey. So we're gonna dig deep into the scriptures. And if you'd like to know more, if you'd like to grow deeper in your faith, if you go to swicer.church slash next, You'll find sermon discussion questions. You'll find other ways you can connect and be a part of the body of Schweitzer. Next up is Jen, and she's going to share with us some things that are happening right now that you may want to be a part of. Let's take a listen.
1: Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Jen Brown. So glad you're here today. Just want to tell you about some things that are coming up this week specifically, we have a healing prayer seminar and training that we're so excited about. And it's a great opportunity for you to explore prayer a little bit more and what that looks like. We have a team of people coming in from Falls Church, Virginia. They're going to lead this. They're experts on prayer. They're going to talk about healing prayer, intercessory prayer, and a lot of things that um, we're not always sure about. But it helps us dive in deeper into our prayer life Uh, The training's on Friday afternoon and all day Saturday. You're still welcome to sign up. We'd love for you to be there. And then following this training, we have a community-wide healing prayer service at 5.30 on Saturday night. This will be a really special time together as we pray for one another and we encourage one another through prayer and worship. So we hope you'll come out, sign up for the training, or join us for the prayer service on Saturday. Every week right here on the Schweitzer campus, we provide for families through our Flourish Food Pantry. This is a great way we can serve our community and we need your help restocking our food items. So it's time for our annual fall food drive. So if you can pick up a list of needed items out in the Fellowship Center today and bring those back through November 6th, it'll really help us serve our community and stock up our food pantry. You can learn more about this at Sweitzer.church slash flourish. And coming up next month is our second season Boomer Bash and second season seminar. This is going to be a great two days together on November 11th and 12th. We'll have a big Friday night party, music, games, all kinds of fun things over in the student center. And then on Saturday, we have Clayton Smith coming in to talk about legacy and what that means. If you have not yet signed up for the second season seminar, go ahead and do that today in the blue booth or head to swizer.church slash second season. And last but not least, we're gearing up for our Fall Festival with Schweitzer Kids. This is going to be a blast on Saturday, October 29th from 4 to 6, plus a movie night afterwards. We're looking for volunteers to help us plan the games in the gym and host a trunk or treat outside. There's all kinds of ways you can serve. This will be a great way to reach our community and just have a lot of fun together as part of our Fall Festival. You can learn more about this at fallfest. You can also sign up there to volunteer or head out to the Blue Booth today to do that. Once again, thanks so much for joining us today. And remember, you can always head to Next to learn more about upcoming events, find sermon discussion notes, and all kinds of ways you can connect. Now, let's continue with worship.
0: Thanks, Jen, for that good word. Now, if you're worshiping with us live, we'd encourage you to say hello in the chat feature. If you would like prayer, there's somebody waiting for you in the prayer room. It's good as we come to worship to remember that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Today, let us lift up our voices with rejoicing for God's good work. Let's worship together.
2: sing my own song, and Lord, I confess that I'm far from innocent. These shackles I wear, I bought on my an empty sleigh at the empty grave. Thank God that stone was rolled away. Lord, I confess Job.
0: come to a time of prayer, I want to invite you to join me in a common prayer that comes from the book, Every Moment Holy. Let's lift up our hearts and pray together. O God and Father of all, we are grateful to be gathered in fellowship and worship at the beginning of this new week. We lift up to you here our hearts and prayers. For grace and provision in the coming week, we look to you. For the life-giving gifts of your word and your truth, we are thankful. For the joys of life shared with family and friends, we praise you. For the grace to live in grateful humility, we look to you. For the many small blessings and beauties that surround us, we are thankful. For the displays of your majesty and power in our world, we praise you. For the promise of your constant presence, giving hope and comfort and strength and joy in the various moments and labors of the week to come, We bless your name. May the rhythms of our petitions and thanksgivings become in time like the steady drumbeat in a long and unending song of your faithfulness, O God. Amen. I invite you to join me in saying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. there are all kinds of ministries that take place on the campus of Schweitzer and through your generosity and through all kinds of ways in which people are generous with their time, resources, their energy, their passion. Today we're gonna hear from Doug King, our Modern Worship Director, and he's gonna share with us about how worship has been impacted because of people stepping up to the plate. Let's take a listen.
3: Hi, friends. I'm Doug King, your Director of Modern Worship. When I started here just over a year ago, we had six people who were serving regularly. In the last year, we've added 12 new faces to the Modern Worship team. That's incredible. And that's a credit to your ongoing support of ministries like the Modern Worship that give folks the opportunity to use the gifts that God has given them to serve and to minister. In fact, Many of those folks have begun to use those gifts in other areas, like the women's ministry. Just two weeks ago, several of the ladies from our Modern Worship team led worship for the women's retreat, and then again that following Sunday. And we've got a few folks on our team that are also stepping out to lead on Sunday mornings. I'd also like to take a minute to invite you to our first night of worship tonight, 7 p.m. right here in the sanctuary. This is a great opportunity for us to gather as a church to come together, to sing songs, to read scripture and to pray. I know God will be here and I know he will do a work in each of our lives if we open ourselves to him. So tonight, 7 p.m. Yes, the Chiefs play at 325 Central Standard Time. As a Chiefs fan who enjoys to watch every game that I possibly can, I promise it'll be okay. So plan to be here at seven, bring your whole family, bring some friends with you, and let's worship our good God.
0: Thanks, Doug. We're so grateful for the generous and and, uh, faithful giving of God's people to contribute to see what God wants to do in and through Schweitzer in all kinds of ways to bring His blessing to the world. Today, if you'd like to give, you can go to give, or you can use the Church Center app. Thank you so much for being faithful and generous with what God has given to you and trusted to you. Uh, God does some amazing things. Next up is week number six of the Revelation series. We're looking at the Church of Philadelphia. Let's dive in.
4: Well, friends, welcome today. So glad you're here with us. My name is Spencer, and today is part six of our series over the most interesting book of the Bible. We're talking about Revelation. Now, if you're new with us, this series is a little different than normal because we're talking about some different things. Because Revelation, oh my goodness, it's full of different kinds of things. Today, we're going to talk about the Great Tribulation. I mean, that's not something I've normally uh, preached about or something you'd hear in our sermons. But this is where Revelation takes us, and so that's, that's where we're going. Uh, This series is also different because if you've heard a lot of teaching and preaching on Revelation, our approach to this is probably a little bit different than you've heard before. Most people start paying attention to Revelation in chapter 4 because that's where the weird stuff starts and everyone is attracted to that, but but really the book starts in chapter 1 and those first three chapters teach you so much about what this whole book is about because it gives you context. And so what we're doing is we're, we're really focusing in on the first three chapters that help us understand the rest of the book. The first three chapters, what we learn is that this book is written to real people, in a real place, in real time, real struggles, real things that they're going through. It's written to seven churches who live in what the Roman Empire calls the province of Asia. Today we call that Turkey. And these seven churches um, get a message from Jesus. He speaks a message to each one of these churches. And so each week we're reading a different message from that church. And they we're using that uh, that message to springboard to other parts of the book to look at this and say what would this book have meant to these people who received this this message from Jesus and as we do this what we see is that is that revelation is not so much a book that's scary and intimidating something to keep at arm's length but rather revelation is a book of hope encouragement and good news especially to those who suffer So, this is part six. This is going to be the sixth church that we're looking at. This is the church in Philadelphia. And here is Jesus' message to them. Chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel, could also be translated as messenger, of the church in Philadelphia, write These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Now, the synagogue of Satan, we talked about this a few weeks ago, um, and we'd spent like 10 minutes on that. So long story short for today... Uh, there was, in the first century, tremendous pressure, tremendous tension between the uh, the Jews and the Christians in different cities. And, and what would happen sometimes is that the, the synagogue, the, the Jewish leaders, would, would accuse the Christians before the Romans of breaking the law, of not worshiping Caesar and declaring that Caesar is Lord. And so these these Christians would suffer persecution because of what the the Jews had uh, inflicted on them. And so there was this great tension and this is what the the reference here is to the synagogue of Satan is the the persecution they would have received because of the accusations coming um, from the Jewish community. We keep going here. Verse 10, since you have kept my commands to endure patiently, I will also keep you From the hour of trial. And if you're reading from your Bibles, underline that, write that down. We're going to talk about that some more. The hour of trial. Jesus promised him to keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God and never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I'll also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, as we read about this church in Philadelphia, what have, what have we learned about this church? Well, this is a church that is undergoing tremendous persecution. In fact, as we read through this, uh, there are two churches in particular, uh, Philadelphia and Smyrna, out of the six churches we've read so far, where Jesus doesn't even have a corrective word for them. I mean, his message to them is really just, it is positive, it is encouraging, it is uh, just trying to encourage them to to stay true, to persevere, to to, uh, not give up in the face of all of the suffering that they're going through. There is just tremendous, tremendous pressure. So it's interesting to me that in the midst of this encouraging word to the church in Philadelphia, Jesus speaks of a promise to keep them from what he calls the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole earth. This this hour of trial that's coming upon the whole earth. Another way we might say that is the tribulation. To keep them from this, to protect them as, as it's going on. And the hour of trial, this tribulation, is a huge, huge, huge part of Revelation. It's really the, the bulk of the book is telling us about this hour of trial, this great tribulation that's coming upon the earth. And so and so today, let's, let's talk about this. Let's jump into this to understand this promise that Jesus is giving to them and, and, and what is it that, that is so much of the book of Revelation as we think about the hour of trial that's coming upon the whole earth. Now, the hour of trial, bulk of the book, it's from really chapter 5 through chapter 20 is this, uh, hour of trial, this tribulation that's coming on the whole earth. And so, as we talk about this today, you know, we're not gonna go into great detail because there's just so much to talk about. Instead, what I wanna show you is the, is an overview of this hour of trial, this tribulation, and then, and then just look at the big picture of what this means, what does this teach us, and why it matters. So the hour of trial that's coming upon the whole earth, it starts in chapter 5, ends in chapter 20, and in chapter 5, John, who is writing this, he, he writes about how Uh, there are these seals, and I don't mean animals, I mean scrolls that are sealed, that are in heaven. He sees this in his vision. And as he sees this in his vision, um, people, the the elders, the the leaders um, that are in this vision of heaven are searching for somebody on the earth who is worthy to open the seals, to break the seals open, to read the scrolls. And no one is found to be worthy. And so John talks about weeping because no one is found to be worthy and then they find Jesus and they, and they declare that he is worthy to open the scrolls, to, to read the scrolls, to break the seals. And this is how it says in chapter five. This is so, so beautiful, I think, as we read about the worthiness of Jesus to, to open the seals. Chapter five, verse five. It says, then one of the elders, and we're going to talk about the elders next week. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals and they sing a new song this is verse 9 saying you that is jesus you are worthy to take on the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for god persons from every tribe and language and people and nation You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And skip to verse 12. There's this great song that is being sung in heaven about how worthy Jesus is. And so it says, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And so from this worship of Jesus and how he is worthy comes the great tribulation. Chapter 6, it opens with this line. John says, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Now as Jesus opened these seals, these scrolls that he has, um, judgment begins to take place on the earth. And this, this hour of trial, the judgment begins with the seven seals. And I'm not going to read the seven seals because it takes place from chapter, uh, eight, or chapter 6 through 8. So it's two chapters, Revelation of the seven seals. But as the seven seals go through it, you see seven things that happen that are the judgment that come upon the earth. Here they are. The first seal is conquest. And then you have a seal of death and killing, economic collapse, famine and plague, which by the way, those first four seals are what we call the four horses of the apocalypse. Verse five, I mean, sorry, uh, seal five, the martyrs call out for justice. Um, chapter six, there's a great earthquake and 144,000 people are saved. And this is a a very significant number in the Bible, this 144,000 are saved because you remember how important numbers are in the Bible. Um, one of the important numbers in the Bible, of course, is 12. You've got 12 tribes of Israel. You've got 12 apostles. There's 24 elders who are in, the, in, the, in heaven. We're going to talk about next week, which is 12 plus 12, 144,000 is 12 times 12, which is really like not a specific number of people who are saved, but it's like the totality, I think is really what this is getting at, the totality of folks who are being saved, And with that, uh, that picture of salvation, there is this great um, um, verse that talks about the scope of the salvation that takes place during these seven seals. So chapter seven, verse nine has this incredible verse. It says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. I mean, the, the mission of the gospel is for the whole world. They're standing before the throne and before the lamb and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb I just I just love that it's such a beautiful picture of heaven and the great multitude and this word of salvation it opens the door for the seventh seal which is a moment of, of worship in heaven so the seventh seal finds the angels and the saints and the elders all worshiping at the throne and Worshiping the lamb, that's how chapter eight ends, is this moment of of worship. And the seventh seal is this moment of worship. It reminds you of of the seventh day of creation, how there is the Sabbath, this moment of rest. And this is also what happens with the seventh seal. Now, after the seven seals come seven trumpets. This is chapters eight through 11. Um, Again, not gonna read it because it's three chapters long, but here's a list of how those seven trumpets go and what they bring. Um, You find hailstorms, the sea gets turned to blood, there's falling stars, the sky turns dark, there are locusts, there's death to many people, and then finally, the seventh trumpet again is worship in heaven. And this worship in heaven is celebrating the reign and the rule of God over the earth. So in chapter 11, verse 15, you read about this. Um, We read this as the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Messiah, who will reign forever and ever. So seven seals, we have seven trumpets, and then you get in the tribulation, seven bowls. The seven bowls are chapter 16 through 20. And the seven bowls, here they are, again, I'm not gonna read them, but uh, just uh, here's a list of the seven bowls. Start off with festering sores. The sea is turned to blood. There are rivers of blood. There's intense heat. There's darkness. The Euphrates River dries up. And then you have the judgment of the prostitute and the beast, which we've talked about in other sermons. In the midst of the seals and the trumpets and bowls, um, there are also what we call the three woes. And the three woes are like the really bad or really intense seals, trumpets, and bowls. And so the three woes in the midst of all this is, uh, first you have the locust, which are also the fifth trumpet. You have the mass of death, which is the sixth trumpet. And then you have the defeat of the beast, which is the seventh bowl. And this is, this is, uh, the hour of trial. These seals, trumpets, bowls, and woes. And this is the bulk of the, of the book of Revelation. Now, what we just talked about in like three minutes is 15 chapters of this book. I mean, we could go deep in the weeds talking about the hour of trial, this great tribulation, and what all the trumpets and seals and bowls and, and woes, what it all means. But sometimes when you when you do that, you, you lose sight of the Big picture, and I really want us to make sure that we don't lose sight of the big picture today. And it's easy to do when you read Revelation. It is easy to get lost in the weeds and to lose sight of the big picture because there's just so much. I mean, you're reading about trumpets and bowls and seals and woes, and you, you start to wonder, like, how, what does all this mean? How do I how do I understand this and piece it together? And it's very very easy to get to get lost in the weeds and to miss the big picture. A lot of people spend a lot of time speculating about all of this as well. I mean. Speculating about how is this going to happen? What does it look like in you know, modern life for these things to happen? When, when does it happen? We love to predict like when are all of these things going to happen. And, and again, when you start to speculate, you start to lose sight of the big picture. When I was a kid in, in youth group in seventh grade, I remember uh, our youth group at church watched this movie about the seals and trumpets and bowls and woes. And it was a movie from the 70s called A Thief in the Night. I do not recommend it. <laughs> it scared me to death. And and it was all about the speculation of what does this look like in modern life, but it missed the point of the big picture. And when you miss the point of the big picture and you just start to spend all this time speculating about what does this look like today, you, you miss something that's deeply meaningful and impactful and something that we need to remember. So let's think about the big picture here. Let's Let's try to imagine what is this big message that's being portrayed here. And so as we think about the big picture, let's pretend that you are a Christian in the late first century, in the Roman province of Asia, in a city like Philadelphia. Philadelphia and Smyrna are the two of the seven cities that have experienced the worst persecution. And so as a Christian in one of those cities in the late first century, persecution would have been on your doorstep. And as we've talked about this series, this persecution would have come in several forms. It could have been violent, maybe for yourself, maybe for someone you love, someone you know, someone you, you love has been arrested. Maybe someone you love has been tortured or maybe even killed. Maybe, maybe the persecution means that you've, you've lost access to the markets, you've lost your job, or maybe you've had property confiscated. Maybe you are impoverished because of those persecutions. Maybe the persecution has, has affected your, your fellowship, the church body that you belong to. And instead of worshiping openly and proudly, you, you gather together in secret because you're always gathering under the threat of violence. You have to sing your hymns in secret because, because of the threat of violence. Like suffering for you is not an idea. This is real life. So let's imagine you're in this situation, and then you you get this strange letter from the Apostle John, who knew Jesus himself, and he's writing this letter that is uh, this vision that he has of the victory of God and the judgment of God, and it's cryptic, and it's strange, and it's all about, I mean, the bulk of the letter is about this judgment, this hour of trial that's coming upon the earth, which, by the way, I mean, don't forget the hour of trials. We read about it. Chapter 3, verse 10 said that the Philadelphia Christians would be protected from the hour of trial. But, you know, the bulk of the book is about this hour of trial that's coming. And you're in a Christian in a city like Philadelphia or Smyrna. The persecution is real. And as you think about it and you read this message, you hear it. You, you start to piece some things together. You start to remember that, okay, this hour of trial, it all started because Jesus was found to be worthy he was the judge who was worthy to open the scrolls. This is what unleashed the hour of trial upon the earth. And as you think about these things and how it fits together, there's these seals and trumpets and bowls, and you realize all of these things happen in cycles of how many? Yeah, seven. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. How many cycles of that, by the way? Three? Oh, and there's three woes? And you're a Christian, you understand the Bible, you know that when things in the Bible happen in series and cycles of seven and three, those are incredibly significant. And you start to piece these things together and draw the lines together and you realize that the the message that John has for you is not like, hey, get ready, bad things are about to happen, Fill up your, you know, your, your, your bunker with canned goods and a generator because it's all about to go bad. It's all about to hit the fan. Make sure you're ready because it's going to be really, really bad. That's, that's not John's message. That's not why he's sharing this news about the hour of the trial. Instead, John's message is not to see the, these things as a coincidence that's happening in life, but rather the hour of trial is a consequence. Let me say that again the hour of trial the great tribulation is not a series of terrible coincidences they are presented as consequence and that truth is so incredibly important we 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 can't we can't gloss over that especially if you're somebody who's suffering i mean let's just think about that for a few moments here that that our lives have consequence that's the point that he's making here with with this, that this hour of trial is all about consequences. It means our lives have consequences. And if you're somebody who's suffering, it would be be easy to, to maybe lose sight of that because I think there would be certain temptations that would be coming before you if you were somebody who's suffering. I mean, I think about maybe three temptations, three specific temptations, that if you were a Christian in Philadelphia or Smyrna or one of these cities, That you might be faced with as you as you face the suffering and the persecution of of the world. The first temptation is probably something like this. You start to think to yourself, you know what? Maybe God is punishing me. Right? That's That's a common temptation to begin to think when people suffer. I mean, in my work, I talk to people who suffer and this is one of the things they say that maybe God has punished me. Maybe I did something wrong and that's why life is so hard. So maybe God is punishing me. And so you might think about your persecution that you're facing as a Christian in the first century and think maybe God has punished me except that the, the, the suffering that these people are going through are not, are not uh, you know, because they did something wrong. It's because they did something right. They're suffering because of their faith in Christ. Or two, maybe there's a temptation to think that in the midst of all of my suffering, all of my persecution I'm, I'm going through, that maybe God has abandoned me. Maybe God has abandoned me. Maybe I'm all alone and he's not even with me. And so we begin to think that we're all alone in this. Again, a common temptation when we suffer. Or, or maybe there's a temptation to be kind of cynical and to see all of the violence that's happening in my life and in, and in the world because of my confession of Christ. And maybe you start to get cynical and you start to think to yourself, you know, God doesn't even care. God doesn't care. I mean, what's the point of all the suffering? You begin to get cynical about this. And maybe as you look around at the world, you see, you see how the Roman Empire prospers and those who follow the ways the Roman Empire prospers. But you who follow Christ, you suffer. And so maybe there's temptation to look cynically at that. And yet, as we read the Bible, we come to understand that the way of the Christian life is often about suffering. I mean, I think about the broad message we read in the New Testament. We read things like this. This is Romans chapter eight. It says, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. Philippians chapter one, verse 29, for it is been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Philippians 3 uh, verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 1 Peter chapter 2, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And so Christians in cities like Philadelphia and Smyrna, suffering is a real part of their faith. It's a real part of their life. This is not a thought experiment for them. This is, this is real life. And so, and so they get this letter from the Apostle John and it teaches them that our lives have consequences because there is one who's worthy to judge. And just think how important that message would have been for them. If our lives have consequences, well, that, that means God's not punishing us in the midst of our suffering. No, God is actually going to punish those who who persecute us. It's God is not a, abandon us. No, because He has a plan. That's what we've read with the great hour of trial, and 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 God cares about our suffering. We don't have to look at this cynically because because our lives have consequences. And listen, that fundamental truth here that our lives have consequences. It is something that we need to hear as well, because because life in modern American culture. I mean, that's not something we think about, that our lives have consequences. I mean, that's a really counter-cultural kind of way of looking at your life as a modern American to say that our lives have consequences. I mean, we think about life in modern America, we live as if our lives have no consequences, as if there is no one who is worthy to judge. Instead, modern American life, we think to ourselves, you know, what's the goal of life? Well, the goal of life is for me to be happy, my goal of life is, you know, is for me to pursue this like it becomes the purpose of my life. The chief end of my life is to be happy, to be comfortable, to be, to be wealthy. And I, and I pursue this kind of life. And we don't think to ourselves, you know, first and foremost about my life. What am I going to do? How am I going to live to live a life that pleases God no matter what, even if I, fa- I have to suffer? No, 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 no. That's not how we approach life at all. We, we approach life as, as, as what do I, am I going to do to be happy? What is it that stands in the way of my happiness? That becomes an obstacle to me. I gotta, you know, I gotta be true to myself. I gotta, I gotta pursue my dreams and, and pursue my passions. That's modern American life. And anything that gets in the way of that is a, is a, is a hindrance because it's, it's not making me happy. And so things like, I don't know, self-denial that leads maybe even to suffering. Well, that's, that's not the way to the good life. And so we need to hear this message as well because we need to be reminded of the truth. You know what? Our lives have consequence. And there is one who is worthy to judge. There's one who's worthy to judge. And, and, and so I know it's not, it's not popular, it's not, it's not comfortable to talk about uh, you know, judgment. You know, It's not something we wanna spend a lot of time on. It's certainly not something I enjoy preaching on, but, but it's something that we need to reckon with. It's something that we still have to realize because, because this is still the truth. I mean, the bulk of the book of Revelation is about how the judgment of God is coming because there is one who is worthy to judge. Now remember the promise Jesus says to these Philadelphian Christians, he's gonna protect them from this hour of trial. And I was thinking about the final judgment, Revelation 20, as we talked about last week, we don't have to face with fear because we're covered in the blood of the lamb. And yet we need to understand this truth that there is one who is worthy to judge and in God's plan, there is judgment. The kingdom of God is coming, but it's coming in a way that there is victory that comes through his judgment as he condemns evil once and for all. And so we may live our lives as if there's no consequences to what we do. There's no consequences to how we live. There's no consequences to what we pursue. We may think to ourselves that life is mostly about me being happy and comfortable, but really the truth is that we have to wake up and understand as we look around, listen, 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 our lives have consequences. There is one who is worthy to judge. And and as we look around, like this is not all that we see so that even when we suffer, there is still a point because we are part of God's plan. This reminds me of what James writes at the beginning of his letter. James is the brother of Jesus. and He knows a thing or two about suffering. And in chapter one, verse 12, he writes these words. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, under suffering, under struggle, under self-denial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the one who understands that this is not all that there is, but rather that there is one who is worthy to judge and in his kingdom is coming in judgment and in victory. Let's pray. So Father, today, as we think about this great hour of trial that you promised to protect us from, Think about the judgment of God that we read about in Revelation, especially chapter 20 where there's the final judgment as we can approach this covered in the blood of the Lamb. Father, we need to understand today this grave truth that our lives have consequences, that we're not just living for ourselves, that living just to be happy and to pursue our passions and just to do the things that make us happy and comfortable, that this is not the chief end of our life, but rather we will give an account of who we are and what we have done before you. And so, Lord, we throw Yourself at Your mercy and Your grace. And we know that as we look to You, we always find grace. We always find mercy. And that You want to to lead us into this deeper relationship with You. And so, Father, forgive us for the ways that we live that are just about us. And help us to realize this deeper truth that there is consequences to our lives. But in You, there's always forgiveness. There's always peace and that there is always joy so that we don't have to live in fear of you, but we can now live understanding your great mercy. For anyone who's with us today doesn't understand this mercy of God, hasn't approached this for themselves, and the thought of judgment before God is a frightening thing. With a simple prayer of faith, we just simply want to say, Lord Jesus, would you forgive us our sins and lead lead our lives? Because in this simple act of faith, there is mercy that we discover as we are covered in the blood of the Lamb. In the name of Jesus, who is worthy, we pray, amen. Hey,
0: thanks so much for joining us in worship today. We hope you were encouraged. We hope you grew uh, in your faith and your understanding of how God is, is working with us and working through us to bring about his goodness to the world. A big thank you goes to our team who's behind the scenes, to Alec and to others who contribute to the production of this. Also, a big thank you to Jen, to the worship team, and to Spencer for what they share with us. If we were encouraged today, we'd encourage you to take a moment, share this with somebody that you care about uh, who could be encouraged and helped by, by this word, this worship service. Next week, it's the finale. Week number seven, we're gonna be looking at the church in Laodicea. You're gonna wanna come back for the finale of the Revelation series. Looking so forward to it. Thanks again for joining us today. And God's peace be upon you now and always. Peace, bring it all to peace,
5: the storm surrounding. Jesus, Jesus Jesus Jesus. Shadows can't deny